Welcome to Support Op Simplified, where we interview thought leaders in the great field of customer support operations to provide you with actionable insights from the brightest minds in the industry. And now, your host, Sid Bumbani, CEO of Sumati. Hello, everyone, to another episode of Support Operations Simplified. Today, we have with us Ryan Steinberg from Intercom, uh, one of America's fastest growing messaging platforms. Ryan, nice to have you on uh, the podcast. Uh, can you introduce yourself, please? Sure. Thanks for having me, Sid. Uh, like Sid said, name is Ryan Steinberg. I work at Intercom, a customer communication platform. Uh, I've been working at Intercom for over four years now, so it's been a bit of a wild ride. Uh, about 100 employees when I started. Now we're north of 600, so crazy kind of growth. Uh, similar sort of growth on our support team. So I actually started off on our support team back in the day uh, as a frontline support rep. Mm-hmm. Uh, started off when the team was you know around 14 people. Um, and, you know, after about a year of being on the team, I realized that our, our analytics and our reporting and our KPIs and basically all of our numbers were just kind of crappy or non-existent. So, uh, <laughs> I finally got the, uh, the, the bravery to teach myself SQL and look at our visualization tool at the time. And, uh, after much pestering, basically, uh, carved out a support operations role here at Intercom and have basically been doing that ever since, um, and now I, I lead our global support operations team. So we have a team of four people, including myself, that do everything involving numbers and uh, KPIs and reporting and all that fun stuff that I initially got into uh, now. Awesome. No, that's that's great. And I mean, I, I know about Intercom's growth and, and the fact that you guys have uh, set the standards here for some of the messaging platforms um, and, and how people interact with their customers through them. Um, tell us a little bit more about um, how you got into support ops. Like you said, you you carved out a niche for yourself, basically. But what drove that? Yeah, so uh, I studied econometrics at University of Michigan. So uh, numbers and the like weren't really foreign to me. Um, there's a whole nice meaty story about how I actually got into San Francisco and got into tech and all that, but I won't go into that because that's like 10 minutes. It's a good story though, if you ever, <laughs> ever meet me. Uh, anyway, uh, how did I get into it? Well, I realized that there was a real opportunity for our team that, uh, you know, we were using Intercom at the time and uh, Intercom's reporting within the actual product back then was really, really lightweight. So we really didn't have any information around the, the things that we cared about. So uh, we didn't have information, you know, at the level of detail that we wanted around, you know, first response times or time to closes or how efficient people on the team actually were, how many conversations mm-hmm. they were taking, how many customers they were talking to, how long it took them to resolve conversations, all that good stuff. So, uh, you know, being a little uh, career minded, I guess you would call it, uh, I realized that there was a niche there it was something that I was interested in. Uh, I was very comfortable with the numbers. It it really lit a fire under my ass to actually finally get over the hump of teaching myself SQL and the visualization tool. So uh, once I did all those things, um, I basically you know talked to our head of support at the time, Jeff Gardner. I talked to our our new VP of sales, LB, who's here still. Uh, both of them are here still, and uh, basically you know with enough convincing, they they realized that there was an opportunity here and uh, a need to have somebody doing this full time. Basically, I've been doing that ever since. Interesting, and and. What did that do for for your team and for the business? Like, how how did it change your day to day operations? Sure, yeah. Jeez. Uh, so three years ago, before I started doing things, uh, basically the 
we had Jeff, our head of support at the time, who has chops as a mobile mobile developer and was actually hired uh, to be like a, a mobile dev for the for Intercom back in the day, but ended up you know starting this support function randomly. <laughs> uh, that's a whole other story too. But uh, he like he was writing SQL queries in Looker basically to generate all the stats that we were using to make decisions about you know headcount, hiring, where we were hiring people, uh, what kind of support we were actually providing to our customers. So. Uh, I'm sure he's a, a lovely mobile dev, but his SQL is uh, leaves something to be desired. So uh, there were some errors here and there. There were some double counting of things. There was a lot right. of issues with the SQL there. So it was a pretty radical shift overnight to have somebody uh, you know switch into that role first time and uh, full time and, and doing that uh, with gaining expertise. You know, it was my first time actually using SQL on a job. So I wasn't an expert at the beginning, but somebody who could focus on it full time and, you know, test things, make sure everything was running the right way without having to worry about, you know, running a support team of, you know, 25 people at the time, probably. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so it was pretty radical overnight. And ever since then, you know, we switched over to Tableau, which has been fantastic. Uh, and we have, you know, dozens and dozens of, of lovely little operational charts that we use to make decisions every single day. So pretty radical sort of overnight shift that, you know, took three years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that sounds, and, and you know, it's, it's one of those things where like a lot of the companies that grow very quickly, it's, it's a similar challenge, right? Like you're kind of flying by the seat of your pants, um, trying to collect all of this data and understand it the best way you can. Um, but maybe being a little too scrappy about it. So yeah, no, that, that, that um, definitely rings true. So as part of the tool set that you guys built around this, um, can you give me an example of um, something that you found or something that, you know, the, the data told you that ended up improving your customer experience in a big way? Whew, that's a good question. What do we want to talk about? Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's, there's many a lot. examples. Yeah, there's a lot of examples. I'm trying to think of one that, uh, that really pinpoints... Uh, Something fantastic. Okay, let's see. Uh, so this is a good one in that it's it's both like a little medium that it gets into like performance management of individuals as well as uh, the customer experience. So uh, within Intercom, at the end of a conversation, uh, somebody on our support team will close out that conversation, which will trigger a, a CSAT survey being sent through the messenger. Okay. Um, so pretty standard stuff. Uh, we're very uh, lucky in that our support team, you know, every single time we send a CSAT survey, about 40% of the time, uh, customers are actually using that CSAT survey and giving us feedback, which is, you know, two to three X above you know, the, the standard 15% that uh, most people are getting with those surveys. So yeah. we're very lucky that we get a lot of feedback from our customers. Um, what's interesting, though, is that there was a, a product decision back when we did launch these CSAT surveys in the Messenger to basically not send a CSAT survey when certain conditions aren't met or are met. So one of those is that if a conversation has less than 250 characters, we're not going to send a CSAT survey. And this makes sense. You know, if something is super, super like easy, or somebody's just talking to themselves like, oh, I figured it out, close it, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, the other side of things is that uh, if a admin, so somebody, uh, one of our agents, I guess you would call them on our team, uh, or the customer doesn't write back in the conversation in over seven days, we will not send a CSAT survey. So this is pretty interesting. And, you know, thinking about it from a product perspective, I guess it does make sense in that this is a stale conversation, you would assume at that point. 
Uh, so you don't want to be sending CSAT surveys for something that isn't really relevant to somebody anymore. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that operationally, because uh, intercom support reps, people on our support team know the product really, really well. They're very much aware of this seven-day exclusion. So uh, basically what we uncovered, you know, uh, let's say two years ago, was that people were snoozing conversations, basically removing them from their inbox, but not closing them for over seven days for conversations that they think would have a higher likelihood of them getting a negative CSAT survey. So a common example we heard was like feature requests for things that we don't have that we might never have, Uh, you know, situations where, you know, somebody outside of our team maybe had like a big screw up that maybe affected the customer. People would be snoozing these for seven days to avoid those CSAT surveys. So we uncovered this uh, after some of the managers sort of, you know, uh, brought this to our attention and um, through a bunch of hard work, digging through all of our, our data tables and writing some some custom stuff to basically track this, uh, we started tracking the rate in which people were avoiding CSTAT uh, via this, you know, snoozing or just not responding uh, to the conversation in over seven days. So that was a really big one in that, you know, it helped root out some negative sort of uh, either negative or malicious behavior, depending how you want to look at it, on our support team. Uh, but more importantly, it gave more opportunities for our customers to actually give us feedback. Uh, Interesting. You know, despite the fact that maybe these conversations weren't uh, the best thing, the best sort of shining example of intercom or intercom support team, uh, you know. we think it's super important that you know every single person that wants to give us feedback has the chance to give us feedback. So that was that was a really good one, and that that took a lot of digging in our back end table. So uh, that's a that's that's one example. Okay, no, and and there's a couple of um, points in that example that that you mentioned uh, that are really interesting. So the first one is, you know, we're we're talking about what transformation led to an improved customer experience, and and it's interesting that it also happened to be related to performance management to a certain yeah. extent. Right. And and I'll come back and explore that a little more. The other point that was really interesting to me is the fact that as you're as you're getting these feedback, um, you know, you might be finding nuggets in there um, that that customers are sending back to you. I mean, you're getting 40 percent over here in terms of your your CSAT responses. So what how how are you differentiating between, you know, customers talking about CSAT that is directly related to the quality of service versus product features or lack thereof? Oh, man, that is a a tough question. It's something that rings very true to uh, my sort of icy backbone, uh, somebody who talks to customers for a long time. (laughs) Well, because that's that's Um, the biggest thing that you hear from your team, right? It's like, hey, I just got dinged for something that wasn't even my fault. I mean, I provided a great great level of service, but the, the negativity here is not pertaining to that, right? Yeah, yeah. I'd say I'd say there are three things that we sort of do there. The first one is that we're pretty extensively tagging all of our different conversations. So uh, this would allow us to identify conversations. You know, if somebody has feature requests, if a conversation has feature requests on it and we're getting a higher negative rate of CSATs there, we can sort of dig into those and look at the remarks mm-hmm. that people are actually leaving for us and figure it out that way. Uh, a second one is that we have this tool that we built internally called Carousel. Uh, that basically allows us to take conversations from within Intercom, bring them into a different UI, and allows us to review them based on quality, based on difficulty, tone, uh, leave comments for improvement. Did they follow internal uh, sort of workflows? Uh, 
Um, so we have all those different conversations and everybody on the team is responsible for leaving at least five uh, carousel reviews each week. And then the managers have a higher number for each of their individuals on their team. Uh, so with that, we can sort of root out uh, what is actually going on in these conversations in which you get a negative C set since we are reviewing all of those in carousel. Okay. Um, that's a good way for us to sort of bubble up. Oh, this person got a negative C set rating on this conversation, but it was rated in carousel as like fantastic, fantastic on both quality and tone. What's actually going on there. And sorry, this, this tool is something that's uh, home built. At yes, Intercom. correct. Okay. Yeah. It's something that we built, you know, using our API, basically something that any of our customers can build, but, uh, we built it out using our API, basically ports a random selection of conversations into this tool, and then we can review them from there. Okay. Uh, but using those first two things, we basically came up with a new uh, workflow for managers. Since managers are reviewing all these negative, all these neutral CSAT ratings that we get, uh, managers can now add a tag onto a conversation. Uh, and we can see that that conversation has that tag now, and it was added by the manager. And with that, we can exclude certain CSAT surveys from negatively impacting somebody. So we're uh, really, really strict about when people can actually use this, when managers can use this. Uh, but a common example is the one that you just stated, which is that somebody writes into us, they have a feature request, we don't have it, we don't think we're going to build it anytime soon, we let the customer know that. Uh, the person on our support team does a fantastic job, but the customer basically leaves a rating that reads exactly like this. And it has to be pretty strict, which is that you know mm -hmm. Ryan was great at support, but screw you, Intercom, you don't have feature X, Y, or Z. Right. With that, manager can come in, read that, look through the conversation, see if anything happened that you know could have been improved. If there was, they don't use the tag. But if it was perfect and the customer just gave us a negative rating because they didn't like that we didn't have a feature, then we can exclude that CSAT from the individual's KPIs. Uh, it's a little bit of justice for that kind of situation. It doesn't cover everything. There are a lot of gray areas there. Yeah, yeah, of course. Consciously have decided not to exclude those CSAT surveys, but... It's a it's a little win for individuals. No, absolutely. And and you know, as as we're talking to more and more people in the industry, uh, people who are who are trying to get to the bottom of what drives customer interactions and to to being positive or negative, a lot of that is in the details, right? Like it's not something that's coming out very clearly in the KPI of the CSAT itself. You have to ask why at least a few times to get to the bottom of well, what was it exactly that that caused that negative um, interaction, right? And I think you guys at least have the, the process in place. And in terms of scale, I mean, I, I guess there's a lot of man hours trying to get uh, tagging and, and identifying these things to get it running. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so going, going back to it, um, one of the other things was around performance management, right? And, and, and the fact that it's closely tied to the customer experience. So what, what are the KPIs that you guys are tracking on the, on the agent side? And how closely do you see that being related to your CSAT? Uh, yeah, definitely. So there are three sort of main metrics that we look at, I'd say, for individuals. The first one is this thing called CPH, so conversations pulled for working hour. Uh, basically, it looks at number of hours that somebody's working throughout the week, how many conversations did they pull, meaning how many conversations did they take from an inbox and intercom and respond to uh, mm -hmm. immediately after? How many of those are they doing per hour? So that's our, our sort of volume metric that we use. Okay. Uh, the second one is internal subsequent response time. Some people call it subsequent response time. Some people call it next response time. All sorts of stuff. It's basically after the first response, how quickly are you getting back to the customer after that? 
um, how quickly is the conversation basically moving along after we put a first touch on the conversation? So that's mm -hmm. our second main one. And then the third one is CSAT. So directly related, we have CSAT KPIs for each of the different roles that we have uh, on our team. Uh, and that maps, you know, obviously one-to-one -to, -one to CSAT for the team overall. Um, and the interesting thing about all of our different metrics is that very consciously, we've mapped these in a one-to-one -one sort of basis to the team KPIs that we actually care about. Okay. Which is that here at Intercom, we like, it depends obviously on what segment somebody's in, what they're asking about. But overall, I'd say the, the general experience that we'd like to provide to everybody is a first response time of two to four hours in which we're clearly letting somebody know, hey, you can expect to hear back from us within that time period. We hit that time period. After that, we have a subsequent response time of less than 25 minutes. So the conversation is moving along pretty quickly. Uh, after that, ideally, we're closing the conversation in under 48 hours. So the customer lets us know, confirm, resolve. They give us a thumbs up. They say, thanks, that helps, or whatever it might be. We close that conversation out in under 48 hours. And then we send a CSAT survey. The customer gives us a happy CSAT result. Uh, so okay. each of those different team metrics maps very much one-to-one -one with individual metrics and in that we have first response time for the team. We have conversations pulled for working hour for individuals, basically mapping one-to-one. -one, you pull the conversation and then you leave a first response. Those things equal each other. It's the same action. Mm -hmm. Same thing with subsequent response time and CSAT. So we're measuring subsequent response time for the team. We're measuring it for individuals. Same with CSAT, team and individuals. So uh, very consciously, we've made sure that these things map one-to-one -one because uh, you know, we have a team of around 90 people around the world working and talking to our customers. Right. Uh, and we, we want to make sure that at scale, these people have a clear connection to the customer base as a whole and to the experience that we're providing. Obviously, you know, Intercom's goal is to make internet business personal. And if anybody's ever talked to our support team, I'm sure you've gotten gifts, emojis and the like. Uh, you can maybe build a, a direct one-to-one -one relationship with somebody on our team. But at the end of the day, you know, we have this massive customer base of over 30,000 paying customers that we need to serve. Mm -hmm. uh, so making sure that people have that, that bigger sort of vision in mind, even when they're just looking at their individual KPIs is super important for us. Interesting. No, and, and, and that's, that's really interesting because, you know, when, when you were talking initially about the KPIs, one of the things was around productivity, right? Which is how many calls are you pulling per hour? Um, and then having that in a way, so do, do you have a lot of, um, guards and, and metrics in place to say these are some of the guidelines for how many conversations people are interacting with or, you know, I, I guess in terms of productivity, other than volume, are there any other things that you guys are using? Yeah, definitely. So um, for productivity, we map that out for each individual role that we have. Uh, and map it out for how long somebody's basically been in role. So if you're three to six months in a CSS one, so a customer support specialist one, um, you have a different KPI than somebody who's a, you know, 12 to 15 month customer support right. engineer, a CSE. So we're doing it that way. Um, I think I forgot your question. <laughs> I, I got... No, no, I was saying other than volume, are there any other metrics oh, that you were counting towards the productivity aspect? Yeah. So. I'd say there's like, I call it like the holy trinity of, uh, of like customer time-based metrics. You know, it's not very pithy, but it works. I just call it the holy trinity. Anyway, it's first response time, it's subsequent response time, and it's time to close. So with that, we basically see how long did somebody have to wait before they got in contact with us via the intercom messenger? How quickly did we get through the conversation, uh, you know, responding back to the customer after that first response? And how quickly did it take us? 
how long did it take us to actually close the conversation? Right. So with those three, we have a pretty good idea of the conversation journey. For individuals, though, we look at a couple different things. So one is that uh, that subsequent response time, basically how quickly are people getting back to the customer within the conversation? That's a pretty good idea of uh, how productive they are in the conversation because you basically have two levers that we can pull here. We have you either need to pull more conversations, uh, deliver more first response times to customers, or you need to talk to the customers that you're actually already interacting with in your right. inbox, which is subsequent response time. So we're constantly trying to find like the perfect balance between those two levers. Uh, in addition to that, we're also looking at a broader sort of team level of how many back and forths are there in each of our conversations. And we think right. that's a pretty good proxy for you know how efficient are our admin tools, how efficient is our you know, customer onboarding, like, are we starting from square one with the customer or is the customer coming to us with a very specific question about a very specific feature? Or are they asking a super broad, like, Hey, I want to set up a user auto message. I have no idea where to start and requires like a full walkthrough of the UI. Um, so we think that's a pretty good metric that measures both our team's efficiency, how, how, you know, fluid is the conversation with the customer as well as, you know, how good is our onboarding of customers? How good is our documentation? All of that stuff. Right. No, that's that's really interesting, and, and the the onboarding and and documentation aspect is is one that I I was very curious about because in in your case, um, I know I hear this a lot from you know the enterprise accounts or the enterprise support um, kind of uh, implementations where they're looking heavily into self service tools and KCS. Um, to kind of have that as a first point of contact for a lot of their customers. Are you are you guys, mm-hmm. it, does Intercom interact or, or integrate into those? And are you looking at those as being, um, I guess, one of the, the filters in there? Definitely, definitely. So automation is a big thing for us, but this, this past year, and it's going to be even bigger next year. Okay. So uh, we actually have somebody full-time on my team who is in charge of uh, all the automation technology that we have sort of in our suite. So we are lucky enough that Intercom has a couple like key features that allow us to automate some of our conversations away. Uh, so the first one is we have a help desk. So we can create articles about our product, put them in our help desk or help center, and uh, customers can go there and mm-hmm. you know query things themselves if they're so inclined. But in addition to that, we also have this thing called article suggestions, which is that if somebody hasn't taken the time to ask a question, uh, to, to look into our, our, our help docs, uh, and they ask a question of our support team. Uh, we have some ML that basically looks through all of our support documentation and suggests some so of those that might that be related be to yeah. the individual. Uh, if that doesn't work, we have another option, which is this thing called answers, uh, which basically allows us to uh, look through all the different types of conversations that we get and create sort of pre-populated different answers for the customer's questions. So super common one is somebody asks us a lot, hey, how do I change my email or my profile picture? What we can do is we see that cluster of conversations there, pick a bunch of uh, different examples of how somebody would ask that, that question. So, hey, where do I change my email? How do I change my email address? Is there a way to change my email address? Like trying to change my email address, all those different things, we can cluster them together and then create an answer that answers that question. If you want right. to change your email address, you can go here in this setting, uh, link them to it. Um, and with that, uh, you know, we can answer a bunch of the low-hanging fruit that typically would bog down uh, some of our support teams. So uh, with, really those cool. two, with those two sort of technologies, um, it may not seem like much, but we're resolving 4% of our conversations that would have gone to CS with article suggestions and answers. Um, and we're super proud about this because 
uh, you know, it, 4% doesn't seem like much, right? It's, it's a pretty small number. But when I'm thinking about an actual dollar terms, that 4% allowed us to not backfill four people on our team, which if you're being like super conservative with fully loading salary and, you know, infrastructure and computers and Wi-Fi and all that sort of stuff, that 4% basically equals $400,000 that we save, not just this year, but next year as well, and the year after that, and the year after that. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're very proud of this this 4% uh, rate of automated resolution, ROAR is what we call it. Yeah, no, and, and that's actually, so the, the, the three things that you talked about over there in terms of being able to suggest the answers, get um, you know more insight from what questions people are answering and put on uh, articles together based on that, um, I think in a lot of cases, that's what people are striving for. So I think you guys are uh, yeah. ahead of the game over there in a certain sense. So what definitely? What does the future we, hold? We see that we see that with some of our customers. Not not to interrupt you, but no, no. Um, like we are in B two B, so some of our questions are sorry. Most of our questions are going to be a little bit more complicated than mm-hmm. how do I change my profile picture or email. But we have B two C customers that you know all they're dealing with, you know pretty much the entire day are these transactional sort of questions. Yeah. And we see people resolving, you know, 30% of their conversations automatically using these two pieces of technology, uh, which sort of like, you know, gets my mouth watering thinking about that with our team. But we're, we're, we're not shooting for anything close to that anytime soon. We don't think that's realistic, but we're pretty hopeful that we can get this up to 6 or 7% next year. Yeah. And, and so you know, while, really while it's ideal... That. Yeah, while it's ideal that the conversations resolve themselves with these articles, I think the other big part, and and this is really hard to measure in terms of um, the ROI, is like the the agents being able to share the knowledge in and amongst themselves, which probably improves with onboarding and so on, right? Because that knowledge is now freely available um, when they do get that interaction and have to to handle it in person. Hmm. Uh, I'm not really getting what you're meaning there. Could you, uh, could you explain it another well, way? So, so what I meant is like, let's say, um, you know, the per, the customer wasn't able to find the answer or didn't really use the self-help uh, section to get the answer, reached an mm-hmm. agent, but for a new agent to come on board and be able to get to that point where they can answer those questions, the fact that the knowledge is in this knowledge base or in this shared pool where they can access it means they get to that answer quicker with the customers, right? So there's there's definitely a value and a, and a return on that investment, even if you do end up with an in-person interaction. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Um, I mean, it's nice just like if you're a new agent on the team and you see that we've suggested three articles about something and you see that they didn't click on any of them, maybe your answer's there. If they clicked on all three, then you know, okay, probably isn't in there. So it does provide a little bit of the guideposts uh, to, to help resolve exactly. the conversation, which is, which is quite useful here. Spot on yeah. there. Cool. So, uh, <laughs> sorry. So going back to, um, the, the question I was, I was getting into earlier, you've, you guys have done a lot. You guys have grown really quickly. Um, uh, what does the future look like? What are some of the things that are on your, uh, mid to long-term range in terms of improvements, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, augmenting what you guys already have? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so first one, top of mind, since we were just talking about it, is getting that roar, that rate of automated resolution up from 4% where it is now to 6 or 7% by the end of next year. Uh, we have somebody thinking about this sort of stuff full-time now on my team, so uh, really looking for uh, some, some big improvements there, uh, you know, middle of next year. So very excited about that. I think that's really cool. Um, similarly, uh, in the automation space, 
uh, we released this thing called Inbound Custom Bots, which basically, you know, it's not crazy new tech. It's not a completely new concept. It's basically the phone tree of old where somebody will go into the messenger and they'll uh, start a new conversation. And within that conversation, they'll basically have to select what track they want to go to. I have a technical question. I have a billing okay. question. I have a non-technical question. So we haven't been able to roll this out yet. We're dealing with some, uh, because of a lot of our reporting is is home-baked, uh, using just like a bunch of SQL queries and Redshift and our backend tables, uh, we need to do some tweaking there to make sure that when we roll out inbound custom bots, it's not breaking all of our metrics and reporting, which it would right now, unfortunately. <laughs> so we're working on that, which is fun. It's always fun to like tech that that accumulates overnight when somebody releases a new product. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, ah, oh, crap, we need, we need to fix this. That's a fun experience. Um, but thinking about inbound custom bots, basically, right now, the way that we're segmenting our customers uh, is very much with a butcher's knife. So it's entirely <laughs> based on you know what segment they're in, what how much they're paying us, what products do they have, do they have any of our premium products, so they sell zone, like all those different things roll up into this segmentation strategy that routes different conversations to different sort of experiences and inboxes and intercom, uh, which is fine but what it doesn't allow us to do is get any customer input because mm. uh the example that i like to use is that somebody who's paying you you know your number one customer the biggest customer that you have if they write in and they say hey i just have a feature request about this thing can you move this icon you know five pixels to the left it's sort of messing with me that it's right there yeah uh that probably doesn't need a two-hour first response time they can probably wait a day if they're like very clearly letting us know, hey, just have a feature request. We yeah. don't need to get back to them super quick there. On the other hand, somebody who's paying us, you know, somebody who's on our like our early stage program, which is fantastic. They get like the whole suite of intercom, but they're like super small businesses. They're not paying us that much every single month. Somebody who's in that sort of bucket, if they're writing in and they're saying, hey, uh, I think your API is down. They probably need to get a faster response time than you know the four hours or one business day that we're currently providing them. right so being able to to take customer input and allow them to self-select how big of an issue this is mm -hmm. uh that's like the next sort of stage of our evolution which you know taking that and mixing it with our current segmentation strategy around all of our, all of our different conversations that's the next thing that i'm really excited for because it allows us to you know transition from that butcher knife into a little bit more of a scalpel uh which i'm i'm pretty excited for just from like the customer experience side of things no, absolutely, and that that definitely does sound like it would improve the experience overall in a in a big way because you would know what that touch point would need to look like before you even engage, right? Yeah, yeah, and there's like there's a whole bunch of you know agent efficiencies that'll be gained there. If somebody writes in, it's like, hey, uh, I set up this this message that was supposed to go to these sets of users. Uh, but it didn't go to this one individual. What gives there? If we yeah. have this bot that basically goes through a flow and it's like, hey, can you send us the link to the message and the user that you think it should have gone to? That saves our team, you know, a couple back and forth asking for that information and allows them to go straight into the investigation about what actually went wrong as opposed to having to collect information. Interesting. No, definitely. Right. I, I think you have a great thought process here in terms of like how you guys have got here in terms of where you started with the analytics and and what you have on the roadmap um where you know who are the people who influenced you and and where did you get all of this from um are there any mentors that that um have influenced you in your in your career uh whew. 
I want to I want to not name drop a bunch of intercom people because that's sort of <laughs> what I've lived and breathed like the past uh, four years. Um, our our head of strategy Des is is a, a pretty big inspiration, but you know you can hear about him elsewhere. Go to our blog and and read about him. Uh, a book that Jeff Gardner, our former head of support. Uh, recommended to me when I first joined, though, was The Effortless Experience by mm-hmm. uh, Matt Dixon. Um, and that has been uh, very much top of mind for me throughout like my support experience journey, as well as the support operations journey, which is just making sure that we're doing things that make it as lightweight as possible for the customer. So this book, uh, The Effortless Experience by Matt Dixon, um, when I first started at Intercom, you know, our mission is to make internet business personal and not having had a, a ton of time to think about that uh, and being in my frontline support role, I thought, you know, making internet business personal, that's like, you know, knowing your bank teller really well, really well. Like if you screw mm-hmm. up, you you give them some, you know, a gift card or you, you send them a, like, well, we're sorry card or something like that. But as I continue to actually do the job and talk to customers, like what I realize is that people don't really give a shit about your gift cards. Uh, <laughs> and the book really does a great job talking about this, which is that, you know, if our API is down, uh, people don't really want to get a gift card right then and there to say you're sorry. They just want to know what impact is this having on me? What impact is this having on my customers? And when is it going to be resolved? And that's it. it it's like, it, it might seem, I guess, like the biggest thing that I was struggling with is that that seems like such a cold, hard way to view this interaction with a customer. Mm-hmm. But uh, as I was at Intercom more and heard people talk about this making internet business personal sort of slogan, this mantra, this mission a little bit more, what I realized is that what that is about is treating people like people and with that, just respecting their time. Respecting yeah. them as individuals and not, you know, treating them like cattle to move here and there or to, you know, just think that a gift card is going to to make everything okay. It's, it's, it's realizing that, like, we all make mistakes, but that when a mistake is made, you know, let them know. Let them know the API is down and we're working on a fix or it should be fixed in 30 minutes and this is the impact that it should have. Don't send them cookies or cakes or give them a gift card or anything <laughs> like that. So Don't trivialize that, the impact or the experience that they're having, right? Like own up to it and, and come up with a fix, which speaks it, probably better than, than being able to, you know, um, give them something something that doesn't mean really a whole lot. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, is my gift card going to be able to buy API access to, to intercom? No, it's down. Okay. So let's just fix this thing and we can move on with our lives. Mm. Interesting. No. And, and that's again, very good thought, very good perspective. And in fact, this is the second or third time that someone on our podcast has mentioned the book effortless experience. Um, so it's definitely uh, has, has a lot of nuggets. I haven't read it myself, but I, I should go pick up a copy apparently. Um <laughs> Because uh, it has a lot of nuggets that that people keep referring to. Um, well, yeah, it's quite good. Ryan, thanks again for all your time. Um, this was a this was a great conversation, and uh, I'm sure our our audience are going to get a lot out of it. Um, happy to have you on the show. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having me, Sid. Good talking to you. Thanks for listening to Support Up Simplified with Sid Bambani of Sumati. Tune in next week for another interview with a customer support operations thought leader.